as we think about this glorious, beautiful, loving Jesus. He's on the um, mountain with his disciples and with the crowd that's been there. And he's talking to them about God's view of them, their treasures. He wants to pour out blessings on them. And he's addressing their character and their motivations. These are the things that are going to mark them as the new covenant people. He's preparing them. Ezekiel 36, 24, and 27 said that they would receive a new heart and a new spirit so that they could love the Lord with all their hearts and obey him, Deuteronomy 6. And so our last three sermons talked about this relationship of love and how the out of love that Christ's followers would be God's people, his children would be humble in generosity. They'd be people who deeply loved prayer and spending time with God in prayer. And they'd be cheerful fasters. And so all three of these things could be done in a really sincere manner or in a hypocritical manner. Something that um, Anna brought to our attention when she talked about the mask and how the hypocrite actually went back to like a theater, like the mask, and what was you were seeing wasn't really what was true and behind the mask. And so <clears throat> all these things could be done. Generosity could be done out of love for people. Or it could be done out of love to be seen and to be honored. Prayers to the Lord could be done from a heart and posture of love or to be heard and seen and honored as very super spiritual by the people around them. Fasting cheerfully. to We love the Lord. that We would love the Lord so much that anything, any idol, anything that was getting in our way, we would cheerfully give it up. That's the sincere way to fast. The insincere way, the hypocritical manner, would be just going around sad and looking like, oh, woe is me, I'm giving this up, like, isn't this wonderful? Um, so very hypocritical. And Jesus is warning, and he's saying, be careful. When you do these things, do them in a sincere manner so that you'll be rewarded. And this is where we're going to pick up today in Matthew 6, 19 to 24. So Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body, wait, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one 
and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Indeed. Well, this um, just happens to be uh, the week where Valentine's Day falls in the middle. And we're going to think today about our devotion and our heart and our treasure, and it happens to coincide. Our scripture and the theme of this season coincides with the theme of love. Um, And so maybe you, uh, as a kid, filled out little Valentine's cards. Did you do Valentine's and give them to your classmates and all? Yeah, I um, I picked up some cards because we celebrated Valentine's Day a little early in our family. So um, anyway, so suppose you give a Valentine's card that says, I love you to someone. All right. I want to ask, well, the person that you're giving this Valentine's card day to, it could be um, a classmate, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend, it could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance in front row here. Um, it could be, a, um, yeah, your spouse. So if you give this card, do they really see themselves as your treasure? Is your heart really theirs? And so you could ask yourself some questions to figure out whether they're going to think you're really legit in what you're saying in your card. Where is your time spent? Do you talk about yourself when you're together, or do you listen to them? Are you trying to get something in this relationship, or are you in this to give? Are you concerned about your own interest or theirs? And if you look back through your financial records, was your money spent more on yourself or on them? And this is particularly a serious relationship or a marriage. Sometimes we say and we think we love someone, but do our actions show it? It's helpful to have a way to kind of check your sincerity and your devotion. Jesus knew about human pride, about self-centeredness, about deception, even about the ways we simply get distracted. He knew that the world is disorienting and the devil's desire is to divert our affections away from God and people. And this is why Jesus gives us this litmus test for our sincere devotion in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So notice that he had been talking in the plural, and then here he changes it to the individual. And so he's speaking to each one of them, and he's speaking to each one of us personally today. And he says to me, where your treasure is, Gina, there your heart will be. He says, where your treasure is, Brendan, there your heart will be. Kathy, he says this to you too, where your treasure is there your heart will be. And so as he says this to us, and he says this to this crowd, he started with a prohibition, which means a command that says don't do this. He said do not. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, or let's just say little critters, could destroy it, and where thieves can break in and steal. The command is don't store up for yourselves treasures 
on earth. The problem is that we're supposed to be good stewards of everything we receive. We're to be generous and not hoard things. We're to share with others humbly. And so what's the problem with storing things up? Jesus did not have to give reasons. If you ask a child that you're responsible for to clean up their toys, you know, sometimes they go, why? I think Jesus just anticipated this because he knows how we would get so attracted to things. And so he very graciously gives us some reasons of why it's a problem to store up things on this earth. And so the very practical reason is that things on this earth are temporary. And this practice of storing up things on earth is just really short-sighted. It isn't going to last. It'll get a hole in it. I was watching a camping video, and this guy had a brand-new $500 tent, took it out for the first time for winter camping, and a little mouse got in the tent with him, spent the night with him, was in his pants the next morning, but had nibbled a little hole in it and had damaged that brand new tent only the first time out. All right? Things aren't going to last. I mean, the first time you get a car and you get a scratch in it, like, ah, oh, now it's going to rust. All right, God know that we would not be satisfied. And so if we get something, then we want one more thing. You know, you start to get a collection, and then, well, you've started a collection, so then you collect some more and some more. Those little spoons at the travel centers or, you know, whatever your choice of collection is. All right? It's not going to satisfy us. There never will be enough little spoons or little, you know, whatever, T-shirts with a logo on it. These things are going to perish ultimately. Moths are going to destroy them. Animals may chew on it. Um, corrosion or rust can occur, or somebody can just break in and steal. That happened to um, my daughter and her girlfriends in their apartment. Gone for a few hours, come back, and everything is smashed, destroyed, or taken. All right, a few more reasons why it's not a good idea, and he says don't do this. Don't store up treasures. What you store up, you spend a lot of time thinking about and you need to have energy to maintain it. Amen? Yeah? You get a car, you have to maintain it. You have two cars, you have to maintain them both. You, get, you know, some of you know. I was listening to somebody lament last night about, now it's the brakes. Last year it was this, you know. So, all right, possessions can control us rather than us controlling them, and it can dictate how we spend our time. John Calvin said the more possessions that we have, the more uneasy we become. We lose our peace. We can also start to trust those items for security instead of trusting God. Sometimes hoarding, you know, just collecting and collecting and collecting things can really have fear and a lack of trust of God to be a source of security and placing that security in things around us. You can save things. Now, this is a practical reason, but you can save things, your treasures, but chances are your kids and your grandkids may not really have the same idea of what a treasure is. And so all of a sudden that goes to the curb or the dumpster, and it's wasting resources and filling our landfills. All right. Treasures on earth can grip our hearts, our minds, our will, and even determine our relationship with God. That's a really strong statement. But I listened to one of my friends preach a sermon this week at the worship um, gathering at Calvin, 
And she said, do we spend more time praying for things that we want that we don't need, or instead are we praying for things others need but do not have? And I thought, wow, that's really, like we, our prayers can really become self-centered and, and consumeristic without us even realizing it. When neutral or even good things start to take priority in our lives, um, it can take us away from God and our time with God, and that really is an insult to him who loves us so much. Can you imagine ignoring somebody that you say you love? You give them a valentine and say, I love you. But, honey, I'm going camping every weekend until our wedding. Or I'm going fishing, or I'm going on a youth travel sports team, or boating, or a cottage, or like we're uh, snowbirds, or whatever that takes us away from worship regularly. And that, too, can be a problem with our relationship with God. Another thing that we can start to, like, hoard in our minds is the news, or political ideas, or researching things, or scrolling Instagram, or TikTok, or Facebook. To, it captures our time and attention, and those things not only distract us, but they can become the treasure if we spend endless hours pursuing them. Friends, fasting is a wonderful way to identify what is an idol in my life. What has captured my affections and my attention so much? And a way to turn away from that and put God at the rightful center place of our lives. All right, I want to say something. It's not wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to be wealthy. But do we view everything that God gives us as belonging to God? That he owns the title to my fill-in-the-blank. Can every possession that you have be put in that fill-in-the-blank? So God owns the title to my house. God owns the title to my motorcycle. God owns the title to my favorite fishing rod. Whatever it is. I recall one time... um, a number of years ago, where we had a young couple stay at our home overnight. They had run away, had been sleeping in a car, and um, God just really prompted on my heart to invite that girl to um, take a shower if she wanted to shower at my house. And then I felt like I was to give her some clean clothes, so I went into my room, and he was like, give her your new Talbot's plaid fleece like jacket shirt and your black jeans. Now, I was smaller at that time, and it would fit her perfect. And anyway, um, and they were cute and all. And um, you know what? Praise God. I had them in my closet so I could offer her something really nice instead of just my cast-off stuff. And so I praise God that he gave me some nice clothes so that I could turn around and give her something that would make her feel loved, respected, and it eventually helped make a connection back to her home and her parents. Twice, God has guided Dane and I to give away our vehicles, Um, once to a family from church, once to a nephew and niece that were back from the mission field. Um, Those vehicles have no value now. But because we shared them, because the Holy Spirit prompted us to, we have a treasure stored in heaven that's going to last forever. 
Think about this. Just think about this. There is nothing that we can give away if we're doing it in Jesus' name that is ever going to be lost or corroded or corrupted, like the value, the benefit, the treasure, the way the Lord sees that is held forever in heaven. What a joyful thing. It makes me want to give more. It makes me want to be more generous because he's my supply. All right. A command, not a suggestion, to store your treasures in heaven. And so Jesus said, Instead of storing treasures on earth, store them in heaven. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I'm just sure if mice are in heaven, they are not going to chew through new things. Amen? All right. Um, So I digress just a moment. um, So the command here is store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We're to use everything at our disposal for this purpose. And so what's considered a treasure? Jesus has previously said that generous sharing, prayer, fasting done sincerely would be rewarded. Treasures are time that are spent and actions that are done out of love for God and love for others. He says, for where your treasure is, There your heart is also. And so our heart, the core of our being, is moved by our affections, and then it's reflected in our actions. And so Spurgeon, the preacher, said, The heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count as precious. The whole man or woman will be transformed into the likeness for which he lives. Let me read that again. The heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count as precious. The whole man or woman will be transformed into the likeness for which he lives. Isn't our goal to behold the glory of God? To sit at his feet? To worship him? To look at him who loves us so deeply? He is our treasure. And when our affections and our hearts move us toward the Lord and we gaze on his beauty, we're going to be transformed in his presence. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your generosity and time and talent and money will be recorded and rewarded by God in heaven. Proverbs 19:17 says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. It's recorded because it's really unto the Lord. No matter who you're generously giving to, if you're doing it in the name of Jesus, it's unto the Lord. Other people will become your treasure because they're Jesus' treasure. Have you ever noticed that good gift givers notice what people like and then try to get a gift that will match up with what their interests or their desires are? My daughter-in-law, Rachel, is an amazing gift giver. 
She watches all year long. She goes to um, garage sales and thrift things, stores, and um, she found this beautiful little mug that had a bird um, sculpted into the handle of this, like, glazed pottery mug. And um, my daughter is a birder. And so she got that for her sister-in-law to give for Christmas. And um, it delighted my daughter because Rachel had noticed what really she was interested in. Rachel noticed that her husband and his friend got really excited talking about hockey one night. And so she thought and thought and prayed and prayed and thought, I think I'm going to get two tickets or no, four tickets. And his Christmas gift is to go to the Red Wings and the two couples will go together. She said he was like a little kid the whole time, like, <sighs> like with his mouth open and smiling like the whole game. He was so excited to be at the Red Wings game. God so loved the world that it, Jesus gave his only, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Have we noticed what God's excited about? Have we noticed what he considers a treasure? And if we want to be really good gift givers, we're going to be watching. And we're going to be looking for ways that we can share the gospel and actually help people believe on Jesus and have eternal life because God wants them in heaven with him, in the new creation with him. All right, so I started thinking what can we really send ahead to store in heaven? You know, store up your treasures. Like, what is it that we can send ahead? Well, our, our words and songs of prayer and praise, that certainly they rise up to God now. They fill the bowls, the golden bowls. Our prayers for the salvation of souls, prayers for the church to be effective. I think those store up, they, they send on forward. We're sending those on. I think our words and actions, as I've said, that point people to Jesus, every act of kindness, generosity in Jesus' name, every meal, every offer of transportation, child care, other acts of love that we do for one another, cleaning up a yard, shoveling a, you know, a driveway or a sidewalk, we can send those things. And then I ran across this quote, loved ones will make heaven sweet for us. And, of course, Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are going to be there. And then those who have placed their faith in Jesus, those who are dear to us that we've discipled. We may, we don't know everybody's time, we may actually send them on before we go. We can't send ourselves, we can't bring ourselves to heaven. Jesus, by his Spirit, is going to do that. But we can show ourselves to be faithful, loving children, and servants by our obedience. I want to say a few other brief comments about this passage. Verse 22 and 23 talks about eyes. And a healthy eye can represent a generous person. And an unhealthy eye, um, the Jewish phrase for unhealthy was evil eye. And so this stood for somebody that was covetous or envious. So if you want something that you don't have that somebody else has, that's coveting. 
It puts a dark shadow over one's life when we live in that way, and it breaks one of the original um, commandments, do not covet. So both poor people and middle-class people and rich people can all be greedy. Yes? Mm Mm-hmm. We are all tempted to covet what we don't have. We see this in social media and how it's done damage to darken the inner worlds of users who compare and envy the picture-perfect lives of others or the amazing engines or somebody like pets. Like you can scroll and see every kind of topic and videos, right? But if you're looking through the eye of coveting, then that really impacts your inner life, and it results in coveting, jealousy, depression, despair. Scott Stark a few weeks ago said, when we look to the world, we become disoriented. And I thought, how true is that statement? And then he went on to say, but when we pray we become reoriented in God's presence. And so looking to God and serving God is the best way, the best way to restore our spiritual vision so that we'll have healthy eyes. All right, final section, verse 24. All right, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot... Can you say cannot? You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is warning about riches becoming an idol, a treasure in our lives. All right, we can have two jobs, but it's impossible to have two masters. A master requires your full-time loyalty, your attention, your service. And so if you're trying to serve money, it is going to set you on a trajectory of a kind of life that possibly you won't even enter into eternity with Christ. Money itself is not evil, but it can be the source of much evil if it's your master. It'll dictate your hours, your schedule, um, how your money is used or saved. Remember when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with a very costly perfume and she was ridiculed? Ultimately, it'll be unsettling knowing that one financial downturn, one recession, one war, one um, natural disaster, and all that we've accumulated and saved for could be gone. And so this keeps people, they start to just be propelled to be working 24-7 online, checking emails on vacations and so forth, Um, money or mammon may become what you trust. That means worldliness, mammon, worldliness. And so if that's where your heart and your treasure and your devotion will be found, um, watch out. Watch out. You're not trusting in the Lord anymore. Okay, that's what it is to have a master that's money. What is it to serve God? It sets you on a different trajectory one of grace, one of love, one of plenty. You can generously give without fear of scarcity. You can trust the promise of God that he will provide for what's needed. It's been said, let your money serve the Lord and it will serve you. 
serving God with your money will have a guaranteed eternal yield. Joseph and Nicodemus showed that Jesus was their highest priority of their lives when they used 100 pounds of very rare um, aloes and myrrh and a very, very costly linen to wrap up Jesus' body after he was crucified and died on the cross. They were showing their love for him. No one can serve two masters. Bob Dylan said in a song a number of years ago, you got to serve somebody. Bill, you're wanting to sing it, I can tell. All right, so it's Jesus said it, and so did Bob Dylan. And so we come back to the litmus test of our love, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I want to ask you a few questions. Ask yourself this, what do I think about more than anything else? What do I think about more than anything else? Another question, who or what would you be willing to sacrifice for? Who or what would you be willing to sacrifice for? And then third, who do you love? And do your actions match your words? We're getting ready to start the season of fasting and prayer during Lent begins February 14th on a day where the world is thinking about one kind of love. We're thinking about agape love. And we're actually going to be showing it together as a congregation to God through fasting and prayer as a church, asking him to fill us with his love, specifically for reconnecting with our neighbors in this neighborhood. All right? Lent is a time of slowing down to deeply connect with God, to fast and repent of anything that he's shown us that is an idol in our lives or any sin that's there so that we can be wholeheartedly devoted to God. Fasting is going to start this Wednesday, February 14, on this day, this day, February 14, and it's going to go till March 28. You decide what you fast. You might ask yourself, what is distracting me? Or maybe what am I turning to instead of the Lord? Maybe fasting from that, just taking, exercising authority over that. Um, What's ruling you? Maybe what's pulling you away? Or maybe just something like, you know, one time I asked Dane, how much do you love me? And he said, more than a pepperoni pizza. You know, so like, if that's your thing, pepperoni pizza, Maybe you want to say, God, I love you more than pepperoni pizza. I'm not going to have that during this time. You decide. You pray. You ask the Lord what it should be. All right. Fasting is self-denial. And when, if if it's from food, let the hunger pains remind you and say, I love you, God, more than that, that I'm giving up. If it's, um, you know, picking up your device that you start to scroll, and um, or you're wanting to, maybe if you're fasting from that, you just say, God, I love you more than scrolling through the Internet or whatever it is. So ask, as we pray, we're asking God to help connect us with the neighborhood, and we're asking for sincere love for each one. Think about it right now. If we sent our neighbors from Gold Avenue Church, if Gold Avenue Church sent our neighbors a Valentine card and said, 
God loves you and we do too, would they feel like it was sincere based on time, attention, what their interests are versus our interests are? Are we trying to get something or are we trying to give? Like, think about it. I feel like the Lord wants us to have a sincere love, not just a quick, like, going to send you a card and tell you I love you, but a sincere love that's going to be costly. And so um, ask the Lord to give you that sincere love. And then please, if you're getting ideas or strategies for reconnecting with our neighborhood, I'm going to ask you to hold them and put them in a journal and pray over it because everything starts by being saturated in prayer. And also I want you to ask God, now what would my role be in this? We don't want to set up the expectation that you give the ideas to the church to do because you. We're the church. We are the church. Each of us are the church. And so you've been equipped. I've been equipped. Pastor Dave, you've been equipped. Yeah, we've been equipped for the work of ministry, and we're called to go and make disciples. And so I want to just give you just a little bit more testimony. When um, the Lord bubbled this up, and remember, we weren't planning on this fasting season. It bubbled up a few weeks ago, right, in the, in the worship service and um, through the sermon that Pastor Jalisa was bringing. But God knew that this season was coming, and he was going to give that prompt. He also knew that this sermon was scheduled for this day, and it was scheduled months ago. And so I just have this expectancy that God is doing something because it just meshes so well. But I also felt this, like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And um, calling the church to reconnect with the neighborhood when I, too, have slowly lost my connections with the neighbors in this neighborhood over the last six years. Now, I'm not taking condemnation on myself, and I hope we don't take condemnation on ourselves, but we just name this, this reality. Now, God gave me a real encouragement Friday night at like 11 o'clock. One of the neighbors that I haven't seen for a number of years uh, reached out and said, hey, can we talk? So connections we've had years ago, they aren't necessarily gone. They just need to be renewed. All right. But I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And so I'm just telling you, we're in this together, all right? At noon prayer last week, on Wednesday, we were praying and asking the Lord, what do we need to love our neighbors? And we're doing some listening prayer. And I sense this, this phrase, out of sight, out of mind. And I thought, you know, if I'm not walking around, if I don't have a picture of the neighborhood or something to remind me, like when I get home, like from dinner on, if I don't have a picture of my kids, I don't sometimes even remember them in a day. I know that that's not a great thing to say, but, you know, it's just um, out of sight, out of mind kind of hit me. I was like, ooh. Um, and then the other thing that came to my mind is I don't have compassion if I don't know them or I don't know about their needs. And so those two thoughts... I didn't take it as condemnation, but I just really spent time this week reflecting on that and asking the Lord, how do I personally 
connect this season of fasting with the need to grow love for our neighbors. And so I'm going to tell you how I personally and joyfully am feeling led. Um, and I'm, ask, I'm sharing this. I am certainly not boasting, friends. I am asking for prayer. All right? Um, and so Jaleesa said we could do that. <laughs> that we could ask for prayer. And so what I feel the Lord's asked me to do is fast from dinner every night and during my dinner time as often as possible to come down here and walk through the neighborhood. And so I feel like um, Jesus said go and make disciples, and that word go means go for a journey, go forth, go on a walk. And so I felt like, all right, um, I will go on these discovery walks with the Lord. I'm just going to come. I'm going to ask the Lord to open my eyes, show me what he wants to show me. And so maybe we'll walk towards Carmel's house, or maybe we'll walk towards Blake's or Ray's house or Sternberg's or whatever. Yeah. Um, But just walk, maybe walk towards um, campus and the well. Well, well, you guys meet all over the place. (laughs) Anywhere around here could be walking towards college people so anyway uh, I'm, I'm going to do that and uh, I'm going to commit to being here on Tuesday nights from 515 to 6 and if anybody felt like they'd feel a little more comfortable going for a walk with somebody else this is not replacing prayer walking okay prayer walking is going to continue but you could come join me on Tuesday night 515 to 6 or any other time day or night you can come and park your car here and take a walk with the Lord, and take a little discovery walk on your own. And I'm going to be praying as I go out, Lord, if there's connections to be made, help me. All right? I'm going to pay attention. Just like when I was walking to the store, I want to be available to connect with people. And then the other third thing is fasting from my phone during the evening hours. And so that doesn't mean if you call me, I will pick up, right? But I'm not going to sit with it in my hand and be tempted to waste time. I feel like the Lord's inviting me to some other spiritual practices that would be much better in my life. And I know that my fast is going to perhaps look very different from yours, um, but each of us should cheerfully and willingly decide how we want to participate um, as an act of showing where our treasure is, who God is in our lives. I love him. I want to serve him. And I want to love the people that he loves. And so for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I want us to think about Jesus and how Jesus came down and took a walk and how he served among and blessed us and how he laid down his very life for us, showing us his love and showing us what treasures we are to the Father and to the glory of the Spirit. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being a God of love. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to store up treasures in heaven. And Lord, I pray that um, in our weakness, that by your Spirit, you would show your strength. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into this season of um, fasting and prayer, that you would direct our prayers, that you would specifically speak to us about what we, how we might fast. And Lord, I pray that you would give us such joy 
and cheerful expectation that we would, with enthusiasm, um, go about loving you and loving others in a way that brings you much, much glory. And so glorify yourself and advance your kingdom, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.